Hello everybody and welcome back to the World Beyond the West podcast. After some downtime over Christmas and New Year, we are ready to hit the ground running in 2023. And for episode 3, we're paying a visit to the Hermit Kingdom, the ruthless and endlessly fascinating North Korea. Since the state of North Korea was founded in 1948, the Kim family has ruled over its people with total unyielding power. While its southern neighbour has flourished into one of the world's most technologically advanced and economically prosperous nations, the Hermit Kingdom remains largely stuck in the past. Much of its subjugated population is starving, has little or no access to healthcare and medication considered rudimentary in developing countries, and for the most part lives life in total isolation from the outside world. Instead, the latest descendant of the Kim bloodline, incumbent supreme leader Kim Jong-un, has dumped almost all his nation's wealth into the pursuit of an obsessive mission to cultivate the globe's most powerful strategic arsenal of missiles and nuclear devices. The regime has tested a record number of missiles this year, including several that have soared over mainland Japan, prompting mass evacuations, and appears to be gearing up to detonate a nuclear bomb. But why is Kim so hell-bent on arming himself to the teeth at the expense of his people? And why has the population not revolted against the de facto monarchy after decades of neglect? Here, World Beyond the West explains how North Korea came to be thanks to Kim Jong-un's grandfather, Kim Il-sung, explores the methods its supreme leaders have used to cultivate their omnipotence, and reviews the evidence to suggest that Kim Jong-un is preparing to test a new nuclear weapon. I hope you enjoy. North Korea and South Korea were born of war. The two states came to be in 1948, when the US and the Soviet Union were dividing the spoils of World War II and split the Korean peninsula, which for decades had been a colony of Japan. The South aligned with the United States and the United Nations, in exchange for military and economic support. The North, meanwhile, aligned with Communist China and the Soviet Union the latter helping to install the fiercely ideological Kim Il-sung in power, who ended up ruling for a whopping 46 years. More on him shortly. The problem was, both sides felt they were the legitimate government for all of Korea, and the resulting tension did not take long to spill over. In 1950, the North's new leader invaded the South, triggering a three-year war which saw Kim's fighters, backed by China and the Soviets, battle the South's army, bolstered by US and UN troops. The war was extremely bloody and achieved little. Conservative estimates suggest somewhere between 2.5 and 3 million people died in the three-year-long conflict, which had a higher proportion of civilian casualties than World War II. In the end, both territories remained separated just as they had been in 1950, and ultimately became locked in a stalemate which has lasted ever since. But the war, at the very least, allowed Kim Il-sung to consolidate his grip over the North and he set about constructing a ruthlessly strict regime in his image which endures to this day. Now, few would have predicted that a boy born to poor missionary parents in occupied Korea would go on to become one of the world's most influential dictators. But from an early age, it was pretty clear that Kim Il-sung was destined for more than his humble surroundings. He was born Kim Song-ju in April 1912 in a small town near the current North Korean capital of Pyongyang, just two years after the Korean peninsula was annexed by the Empire of Japan. The anti-Japanese sentiment, fostered by most Koreans at the time, undoubtedly exerted a formative influence over young Kim, 
who during his teenage years became a staunch opponent of Japanese rule while cultivating a love of communism. He joined the Chinese Communist Party while attending school over the border, and in his early 20s was recruited into the party's guerrilla army. He quickly proved his leadership capabilities, and by the tender age of 24 was placed in command of hundreds of soldiers. It was around this time that Kim Songju took on his nom de guerre, Il Sung, which can be translated roughly as He Who Becomes the Sun, and in the late 1930s went on to solidify his reputation as a smart and ruthless commander. For years he led guerrilla units in a series of successful raids and battles against the occupiers, but by 1940 Kim Il-sung's outnumbered and under-equipped troops had been all but wiped out and he was forced to flee into the Soviet Union to escape certain death. The Soviets recognised Kim's aptitude for leadership and his communist ideals allowed him to excel. He was quickly funnelled into Stalin's Red Army and served throughout the Second World War, emerging in 1945 as a credentialed army major. And so, when Japan was defeated in World War II and the Korean Peninsula was split in half, the Soviets thought they had found the perfect man to install as their de facto leader of the new North Korean government. But Kim quickly proved that he was more than a mere Soviet puppet. In less than five years, he solidified his power base in North Korea, recruited a fearsome new guerrilla army, and used the military hardware and training provided by Soviet generals to launch his invasion of South Korea, all while setting about creating his very own cult of personality as the great leader. More than 70 years later, and almost 30 years after his death, Kim Il-sung's personality cult still pervades every aspect of North Korean society, and has allowed his bloodline to maintain a vice grip on power. Now, the regime in North Korea bears the hallmarks of most dictatorships in the methods it uses to maintain control over its people. The flow of information is tightly restricted, with no independent press, and heavily limited internet access. Citizens are also subject to heavy surveillance and live life under constant threat of brutal punishment for even the most minor indiscretions, meaning any individuals or groups harbouring anti-regime sentiments are wiped out before they can consolidate any kind of power base. But there is one factor that sets the Kim dynasty apart from all others, and that is the concept of Juche. It is the ideology that allowed Kim Il-sung to pull his fledgling state out from under the influence of both the Soviet Union and China, all while ensuring that the population remained in line and willing to make untold sacrifices to keep his regime ticking over. The word Juche can be translated in many ways, but in the context of Kim's philosophy it equates to something like self-reliance or autonomy. At its core, the ideology decrees that the state and all North Koreans must work to maintain total freedom from the outside world by developing a self-sufficient economy, independence of political thought, and finally, a fearsome military for self-defense. Juche holds that North Korea is the only country where the people are pure and have not been infected by the nefarious, decadent, capitalist mindset of the South and its Western allies. And it also elevates Kim to the position of Suryong, an almost godlike leader whose consciousness and intentions are always just and accurate, and whose will must be obeyed under all circumstances. Initially, the philosophy served more of a geopolitical purpose. It enabled Kim to consolidate his leadership over a fledgling communist nation which was heavily supported by the Soviet Union and China, solidifying its independence without picking sides. 
But once North Korea was established as a legitimate state, Kim turned his attention to indoctrinating the population, a process which for the past three generations of North Koreans began from the moment they were born. Children grow up in a society in which Kim Il-sung and his bloodline are painted as monarchical deities who must receive the absolute support if North Korea is to retain its independence from the impure outsiders. War is also deeply embedded in the social fabric of North Korea. This is partially because the nation was forged from conflict, first against Japan and then against its southern neighbours and the US. But Kim Il-sung's regime wanted to make its people feel as though they are in a perpetual state of alarm under threat of invasion, or at the very least subversion, by foreign powers. With the spectre of war looming over the population at all times, Kim was able to justify funneling what little economy North Korea had into strengthening his military and the infrastructure insulating him and his family. The people, living according to Jutia, pay a grave cost. Most scrabble by in abject poverty, are blighted by famine and disease, and spend each day grappling with the fear of being targeted by the Gestapo-like ministries of social and state security, or being dobbed in by self-preserving friends, family or neighbours for the smallest errors. What's more, this isolationism and baked-in mistrust of outsiders is a self-fulfilling prophecy. First, North Korea closes itself off from the world, supposedly in an act of self-reliance and defence against the impure. Then, the regime blames the trials and tribulations of its people on the threat posed by these nefarious external actors, and claims it's necessary to continue consolidating military power and sacrificing quality of life, all while enhancing and protecting the fortunes of a select few to guard against this threat. As long as the Kim incumbent continues to adhere to Juche, the dire fortunes of his people are destined to remain exactly the same. Now, Kim Il-sung may have been the man who established North Korea as an independent military power and introduced the Juche ideology, but Kim Jong-un has elevated his grandfather's philosophy to the next level. North Korea conducted an unprecedented number of missile tests in 2022. A quarter of all the rocket tests ever conducted by the Hermit Kingdom took place last year alone, setting alarm bells ringing for its southern foes, their US allies, and Japan. These powers in kind voiced their disapproval and conducted a host of supercharged military drills of their own in a show of defiance, but they've done nothing to deter Kim Jong-un, who clearly has no plans to slow down in 2023. Not four hours of the new year had passed, when the North Korean regime fired yet another salvo of missiles hundreds of kilometres into the sea, before Kim ordered an exponential expansion of his nation's nuclear arsenal at a meeting of senior officials on New Year's Day, according to the KCNA state media channel. Following his grandfather's tactics of holding the threat of war over the people's heads to the letter, Kim Jong-un declared that South Korea and the US, quote, are now keen on isolating and stifling us to a level unprecedented in human history. The prevailing situation calls for making redoubled efforts to overwhelmingly beef up the military muscle." End quote. He ordered his military scientists to develop and test a new intercontinental ballistic missile with a quick nuclear counterstrike capability to threaten mainland US, and also declared that North Korea's first ever military reconnaissance satellite would soon be launched. But test firing missiles is one thing, actually detonating nuclear bombs is another thing entirely. North Korea is the only country this century to have tested nukes, 
detonating a series of small nuclear devices at the Pungiri test site near Mount Mantap in North Korea's North Hamgyong province. The facility has remained defunct for six years, and North Korea joined other nuclear powers in agreeing to end nuclear testing in 2018, when Kim claimed he had completed nuclearization and imposed a moratorium on further tests amid positive negotiations with then-US President Donald Trump. But Trump's talks with his little rocket man stalled, and in 2019, Kim lifted the moratorium, announcing his nation would commence fresh nuclear weapons development. For a time, it seemed an empty threat. Crippling sanctions levied by the US and its allies wrought havoc on the pariah state's already feeble economy, while strict COVID lockdowns and a pitiful healthcare system saw the population pushed even closer to starvation. Yet, not only did 2022 see North Korea conduct an unprecedented flurry of missile tests, but satellite photos also taken of the country's north revealed fresh construction had begun at the long-abandoned Pungiri nuclear zone. South Korean and US intelligence believe North Korea has now completed all necessary technical preparations to detonate another nuclear bomb. The timing of the test, and the size and type of the bombs, are likely only known to Kim Jong-un and a handful of his closest aides, because his country's total isolation makes it one of the most difficult targets for foreign espionage. At the very least, we can say that North Korea is indeed likely to trigger one of its newly developed nukes this year. This would cause a considerable headache for its southern and western foes, particularly at a time when US relations with North Korea's historic allies, i.e. China and Russia, are at new lows. However, while such a display of nuclear power would legitimise Kim Jong-un and his arsenal as a serious military threat, the likelihood of Kim ever firing a live missile at South Korea, not to mention the US, is pretty minimal. North Korea is isolated because Kim wants it to be isolated. It's the only way he can maintain total control and guarantee the conditions for his regime to function under Juche. Kim uses the spectre of war and the threat of escalation to justify his maintenance of absolute power, dragging Korea into a real conflict with the South and its US backers, which are ultimately far more powerful, will only bring about the collapse of the Kim dynasty. And there you have it, ladies and gents. That is episode three of the World Beyond the West podcast in the books. Uh, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, uh, Kim Il-sung, it's all fascinating to me. And I'm sure that there will be more episodes about North Korea um, and the, you know, the kind of conflict with South Korea and the US and the relationship with China and Russia, all of that to come down the line. Um, this will definitely not be the last time we cover North Korea on this podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode, and as always, if you'd like to subscribe and share the World Beyond the West podcast with someone you think might like it, uh, that's great for me. For those listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can also find World Beyond the West written content uh, on Substack. Uh, you can go to wbtw.substack.com and it will all be there for you. You can pop in your email, uh, sign up for a newsletter, or just search it online. That's all for today. I hope you had a lovely time listening in and all the best for the week ahead. I'll have more for you soon. Bye.